gentlemen, please welcome back to the stage, Chris Clark. Joining Chris is Representative Rick Allen and Representative Rich McCormick. Hey, man. You made it? Good to see you. Good to see you. Here, go have a seat. Thanks. Hey, Rick. Hey. All right, well, let's, let's keep this party rolling. Uh, joined today by Georgia's freshman member of Congress, Rich McCormick, and our, gosh, Rick, you've been 10 years now, right, in Congress. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Yeah. You've, I don't think you've ever missed this event, have you? Do I? Yeah, I don't I'm think you've here. ever missed this event Never since you've missed, been elected, no. and I appreciate no. that. Thank well, you so I come much. from the business community. Chris. You do. You, you, so, you know, it's, I'm all about the economy and, and growing the economy because that's the only way we're going to deal with some of the major issues we have today. That's right. Let's talk about some of those issues. But I want to start off, Rich, not everyone up here has gotten to know you yet. Uh, and so I'll give you a kind of a softball question. Now, you, you come to Congress as a veteran, but also as a physician, one of the few in Congress, as I understand it. And I'm just curious, I mean, you've been there a few months now. How is your, your background, you know, that fact of serving our country, serving your patients, how has that kind of informed the way you think about issues as you've gone into a very different environment than you've ever been in before, right? Yeah, for those of you who don't know me, I've never been to a political meeting before, never went to a fundraiser, didn't know a politician until I got into politics. So it's kind of <laughs> a different way to approach this. Uh, I was a Marine first, I uh, became an ER doctor later. Uh, I was a youth minister for 20 years, and, and I think the common thread is relationships. Okay. Uh, for those who may have heard, I was student body president at Morehouse School of Medicine, something I'm very proud of because of those relationships that overcame the racial barriers, that overcame the historical backgrounds, just because if you care about people, uh, you can form some very influential relationships. Right. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking that, that, that mindset into Congress. And you, you brought up health care and Morehouse. And so I want to jump into this question first, but Congressman Allen, I'll let you kind of kick us off. You're on the Committee of Education, Workforce, and the Health, Employment, Labor, and Pension Subcommittee, which we right. talked about last year at this right. event. Uh, and my, my chairman, Neil Pruitt, would be upset if I didn't ask a question about health care workforce, yeah. right? It's a crisis. Right now in Georgia, there are 50,000 open health care jobs. In 24 months, we expect that number to be 68,000. By 2030, we'd expect that number to be 108,000 job openings. And I know that we've done a lot of work in the state of Georgia on this, but I'm curious from the federal level, what can we expect or, or how are you? Because this is not just a Georgia issue, right? This is a national issue. Well, we have eight counties in Georgia with no doctor at all. 11 counties have no family medicine physician. 37 counties have no uh, internist. 63 counties have no pediatrician. Wow. 75 counties have no OBGYN services. 78 counties have no general surgeon. So what we're doing about the, is, is on the state level. Augusta University, our state medical school, uh, which produces the largest number of nurses uh, and provi nursing pro uh, providers and, uh, and, of course, a large number of the physicians, uh, and, and Dr. Brooks Keel testified before our Energy and Commerce Committee about this some time ago, but to provide free tuition for those physicians that will go and practice in these counties that are in such dire need of medical services. 
I think that's an excellent incentive. Uh, you know, a physician today is, is going to uh, probably not start working uh, until they're 30 years old if they go into specialties. Uh, and they're going to accumulate two hundred to $300,000 in student loan debt. Mm-hmm. And that's just very difficult to overcome. Uh, but uh, but I, I'm just real proud of Augusta University for what they're doing. Now, on the federal level, <clears throat> what we have to do, uh, obviously, education workforce, it covers ERISA, mm-hmm. which is employee spon- employer-sponsored health care. Uh, we cover about 160 million lives currently under that law. Uh, what I want that what I want to do with ERISA, and, and we actually passed this out of the Education and Workforce Committee, is I want to privatize ERISA. I want to give ERISA the same, uh, the, the same variances that uh, uh, the unions got, uh, the waivers that the unions got, and that the uh, faith community got. Mm-hmm. Provide those waivers to ERISA. And I also want to uh, include uh, self-employed people mm-hmm. in that program. If we do that, we will create a private health care system in this country, which we don't have. The government makes every decision on health care, folks, in this country today. We have to have a private system to compete, a totally private system to compete. Right. If we do that, you will have people that want to go into health care. Uh, part of the problem with providers today, it is an oppressive situation as far as the federal government is concerned. The federal government's telling people how long they can stay in the, stay in a hospital, how long you can do rehab. And we have physicians that come in every day. And like, and, and two, uh, if you have to have a procedure, they have to call and get permission from, uh, H, uh, you know, HHS right. to do the procedure. It's, it's bureaucratic. It doesn't work. And if we have something that that we're going to always have a government system, healthcare system, but we need a private system that can compete and obviously drive down premiums because healthcare is becoming unaffordable. The other thing I will have to say as far as healthcare providers, if you want to appreciate healthcare providers, go to your emergency room on a Friday or Saturday night. I'm telling you, I wouldn't put up with that stuff, (laughs) you know, in that... I mean, it is unbelievable. And of course, so, my dear friend is a emergency room yeah. doctor, so he can tell you stories that so, probably I don't know. So, Rich, so you're coming to Congress. You've lived this life. <laughs> you've done it every day. What do you think we should be doing to encourage and keep those doctors, nurses in the healthcare system? So I smile at Drew because I'm on the doctor's caucus with him, and I, I get a little passionate about this in the mornings. I, <laughs> I guess we got two, two of the, the doctor's caucus, right? They literally told me to stop drinking so much coffee in the morning because I get so <laughs> excited about this. Uh, the whole reason I got into politics was going down to uh, the Capitol here in Georgia and talking about the surprise billing. Uh, I remember uh, uh, actually employing my fellow physicians to take off their white coats and act like Marines and go talk to the governor about some things I was really concerned about at the time because I felt like my own party wasn't doing a service for health care. Uh, that's what got me involved. And since being up there, I realized how big the problem really is. You consider that the biggest spending item in government is health care. 26% of the national budget is consumed by health care, and it's the fastest growing 
portion of spending in the healthcare. And it doesn't have its own committee. Every state has its own committee, but the national government has four subcommittees that don't always do a great job of communicating with each other. Just to give you an idea how much we spend on our healthcare, $2.5 trillion just in the national budget. That's the equivalent of a larger budget than the GDP of India, a nation of 1.47 billion people. If you combine the private sector amount of spending we spend on healthcare, you'd have a GDP about the size of the third largest nation in the world. That's just our healthcare expense. We've gone from 25% of all healthcare spending being administrated to about 40%. There's a tremendous glut of waste, and a lot of it comes from the regulation that we, the government, have put on healthcare, just like you've seen in your businesses. Probably the second leading cost of all businesses is your healthcare expenditures. This is something that if we don't do address right away, and it's not just a matter of healthcare worker shortage, because we can grow the schools very rapidly. We have a ton of people that still want to be doctors. It's a very prestigious um, profession. I, I've loved it. My last ER shift was December 28th. Saw 20 patients, three of them critical, intubated one of them. I love medicine, and it is a great profession. The problem is if we make it burdensome, if we don't reward the people for working those weekend shifts, those night shifts, those holiday shifts, if we don't encourage people to go into it for the right reason and actually make the system efficient so where you're not consuming the bigger part of your income in healthcare, we're going to have a fatal problem in America, not just in the healthcare system, but in the economy as a whole. So we have a lot to address. I didn't realize how complex it was with the pharmaceuticals, the insurance companies, the hospital system, the PBMs, the GPOs, and the healthcare industry, all in this one huge amount of people consuming a huge amount of money. This is a complex issue that needs to be addressed by a committee by itself. I thought somebody started to applaud over there, but then they stopped themselves. Um, <laughs> I think next year maybe we have you and Drew and I'll get a doctor up here to facilitate this and we'll continue this conversation. I, and we could go about this all day, but I want to jump to a couple of other issues in the time that we've got left. We talked a little bit about cybersecurity and those efforts. Rich, uh, you're on the Armed Service Commission and very important for the state of Georgia, obviously, but specifically you're on the Cyber IT and Innovation Subcommittee and you've worked on a piece of legislation called the Cloud AI, Cloud AI Act which should protect our critical infrastructure and protect against cyber attacks. Can you talk about that a little bit? Give us the, the high-level flyover. So let me worry you a little bit. First of all, putting a Marine who eats crayons in charge of anything with AI is really concerning to begin <laughs> with. Uh, but China has already said that they want to be the leaders in AI. They've already said that they want to take over Taiwan. They've literally advertised this, whether that happens in two months or two years or whenever it happens. They're one of the largest militaries in the world, and it's going to be the largest within the next five years, we assume. Think of this. Even with the CHIPS Act, 100% of all AI chips right now are produced in Taiwan, the same place they did it, so they're going to take. If they take over Taiwan, we're certainly going to embargo them, which means that we will have no access to AI chips during a critical time where AI is the leading technology. It is the leading industry into the future. It is the way we're going to develop everything. And if they take that island, we will literally be cutting our nose off to spite our face by embargoing against them. And we have not even started a plant here in America. I know AMD and a few other companies are talking about it, but it takes at least 18 to 24 months to build a company. Meanwhile, we didn't do a good job of protecting our secrets from China. We bring people over here from foreign national governments that aren't necessarily friendly and then send them right back to their country with leading edge technology from places like Georgia Tech. We have to be smarter the way we approach this. We have to be visionary rather than reactionary. That's one of the problems we have in the government. We see a problem come, coming, but we didn't prepare for it. These 
challenges are obvious. And I think if we were smart, we'd start building a plant right now for that inevitability where we're going to be short on AI chips and that technology that we need to protect. Rick, you're, you've got Fort Eisenhower and the Cyber Command yeah. and all of Augusta. Give us your thoughts and, and insights into this, sec, this issue. Well, it's a new frontier in warfare, Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you a lot about it because it's classified, but it is. <laughs> you could tell us, but you'd have to it, tell it us is, on that. Yeah, uh, it's amazing what, uh, what our military is doing. We have upped our game. Obviously, that was the reason for moving it to Fort Gordon. And, uh, and I'm telling you, uh, our, we have enormous capabilities. We have enormous weaponry. Unfortunately, our adversaries have the same sure. uh, abilities. And we're in an arms race and a technology race, of course, uh, uh, Rich just said, as far as AI is concerned. You know, we've got problems now. We need more spectrum. Uh, and, uh, you know, to deliver 5G, we need to lead the world in 5G. And, and obviously, the, the, the competition there is China. Now, why do we need to do that? Because we want those folks located here, not in China. Because we understand exactly what China's end game is. And that's to destroy this nation economically. And if they destroy this nation economically, and the dollar is no longer the currency of record, we got major problems right. with this debt. They know exactly how to get us. And uh, this, this federal government and the people of this nation have got to band together to, uh, we, we've got to fix this problem. Be aware of it. I want to keep it, I'm going to jump around a little bit because I want to hit a couple of different issues. And I talked a minute ago about housing and Congressman Allen, I know this is more of a personal issue back home, but you've You've put pressure on the Department of uh, HUD, quite frankly, for living conditions at the Bonaire Apartments right. in Augusta. I mean, you've really championed this and take, looked look to take care of these men and women. Tell us a little bit about those efforts and yeah. how, how it's moving forward right now. Well, you know, they're my neighbors, yeah. and, uh, and many neighbors are very concerned about some things that are, go that are going on there. And uh, so we were asked to get involved. And, uh, you know, it, the problem is that building was last renovated, I think, in the uh, 1980s. And nothing's really been done to it since then. Now, there are new owners who have made promises that they were going to upgrade the facility. But uh, we met with them, and there are no guarantees. In other words, as long as they meet HUD's minimum standards, which is, is all they're meeting, Right. The minimum standards, which, you know, we don't want our folks living like that. As long as they meet those standards, HUD is going to subsidize that rent, and, you know, they're going to be able to continue to pay the note that they use, the money they borrowed to buy the place. Right. Now, granted, if they're going to do renovations, there's some issues now that, hey, we got to go up on the rents. Well, you know, Chris, yeah. I mean... You know, I've developed a few things. I did my homework before I bought it. Right. Not afterwards. Now, they said, well, we didn't get the tax credits. Well, you know, maybe you should have gotten the tax, you know, okay, let's make sure we get the tax credits. Right. I've never seen anything from the back to the front like this and taking, uh, you know, of course, I don't know what kind of risk they're taking because everything's guaranteed by the federal government. But we do need, uh, 
we need folks to get involved in, in, in we, we have a tremendous housing shortage and there's no reason why we shouldn't provide uh, these folks a decent place to live. They're my neighbors. Frankly, this company had not even met with uh, the people that occupied this facility. I met with them. You did. I met with them. And, you know, it, it, it was sad. So, well, I don't know. We, we've, got to, we've got to fix that problem. Well, I, I appreciate you working on that. A lot of times we think about the work that you guys do, and it's, it's at the federal level, and it's global, right? It's, big, it's in your backyard, and oh, yeah. people are just trying to have yeah. a, a great place to live yeah. and a, a safe place. Want to help Thank your you. neighbor. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Congressman, we'll come back to you. Go back to defense authorization a minute ago. I meant to ask you this before. So the House passed the NDAA, or NDAA. Senate's got their version. Listen, this is vitally important to our military bases in Georgia, to our veterans in Georgia, to my friends Rod and Lockheed uh, in this state. Tell me about how do we find a compromise and what is that process going to look like over the next couple of months? Do you, do, will we have an NDA by the end of the year? What do you see? Yeah, I think that's one of the things we are going to definitely accomplish. As a matter of fact, I think we have uh, a pretty good chance of passing a budget the correct way, going through the, the, uh, the different committees, doing the appropriations, actually getting it over to the Senate and bring it back. We may need a continuing resolution, but this might be the first time in several decades that we actually passed a budget the way it was intended to be pa passed. I'm glad the uh, freshman class showed up and, and uh, showed them how to do it. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the big deal was. Uh, but uh, with a very narrow majority, though, it's been amazing what Congress actually been able to come together and to get accomplished. It's kind of fun to watch this whole process play itself out. Uh, when you have good intention, we have a lot of things still to accomplish yet. But we realize that 71% of the budget right now and, and growing every year is automatic spending. They say mandatory spending. There's nothing mandatory about a budget. Congress is supposed to be in charge of that, but it's on automatic spending. It's increasing every year. If we don't do something, if we want to really address the budget or the deficit, we have to make some really smart decisions on where that money goes. Half of the discretionary spending is spent on military defense, uh, a vital portion, especially with China and, and its growing power around the world, its influence in Africa, all over the Western Hemisphere, just in the Western Hemisphere, Argentina, Chile, Venezuela, now Colombia, Cuba, Panama. That's just the Western Hemisphere. Think about that influence and then multiply that times 10 around the world and you'll realize what we're really up against and we have to make sure that we have a robust uh, and, and well-prepared military for also our sons and daughters who serve that is very near and dear to my heart, that they are prepared for that next battle, wherever it might be. Uh, but I think they're doing a great job right now, and I think this reconciliation process will be really interesting to see. Um, I'm excited about it. And Drew will play a little role in that too, I'm sure, as it goes through. So we appreciate you there. I got time for one last question. The senator made a comment about uh, working cross party lines. Real quick, 30 seconds. Any, anything that you've seen in the last Congress where You've actually got stuff done that the press hasn't talked about, right? That's been in a bipartisan yeah. way because you don't yeah. get that. Well, it's hard. Like uh, Rich said, we have a very slim majority right. and, uh, and a very diverse representation across the country. Uh, like the Defense Authorization Act, it was, it was partisan. Right. Not one member of the other party voted for it. Uh, they did an extraordinary job with that to keep us all together. And what we did simply was cut out about 40 billion, as I understand it, of these policies, woke, if you, you know, that's the definition of these things, and actually put it into building ships and weaponry and planes to deal with uh, our adversaries. 
And, uh, and that, you know, and, and we don't agree with that in this country. I don't, I don't quite understand what's going on, but it's, it's there. Uh, obviously there is a total, um, I mean, it's it, like, like I said, governing. And I heard earlier about regulatory. The federal government does not grow the economy. Right. Big government destroys the economy. We have to limit this government and the regulation. EPA is coming out with a new reg every week. This is a non, I mean, nope, they're appointed. And they're making laws for the people of this country. You know, the last thing I thought I'd ever do is stand before the United States Congress in a debate to try to save my wife's gas stove. <laughs> I had to do that. Can my you Atlanta believe gas it? light tables down here. <laughs> so, hey, thank you, Pedro. <laughs> I, I would say the, when, the, when you talk about bipartisanship yep. and bicameral ship, uh, I think the biggest thing is we get distracted by a lot of messaging bills, both inside of our party and out and between yep. our parties. Um, that's why the chamber is a very healthy place to have a discussion about the things that really matter to people, about getting people employed so they can have self-value, so they can buy their own homes, so they can provide for their family. That is the future of America. That's always, as Coolidge once famously said, the, the, the business of America is business. Thank yeah. you for being part of that. Yeah, and I, I would like to add one thing. Yep. We, ha we are well-led in the state of Georgia, and I want to give the governor and all of our legislature I mean, I mean, people ask us in Congress, what in the world are y'all doing down there in Georgia? And I said, you know, we're the best state to do business in. Right. And of course, we're fighting to keep that because the federal government would like to curtail our ability to be the best state. Right. But thank you, all of our leadership in Georgia, for what you're doing. That's all the, that's all the time that we have. Please join me in thanking our Congressman Rich McCormick and Rick Allen for being with us today and all the work that they do. Thanks, guys. Thank awesome. Great job.